All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, presented by the Nation Network. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome into episode 95 of Oilers Nation Radio. I'm not used to doing the intros because I just about said this was Nation Real Life. It is not. Oilers Nation Radio, as always, Brought to you by the fine folks over at Sherwood Ford, the giant. You can find them on Twitter at Sherwood Ford, on Instagram at Sherwood Ford, the giant. Bag milk, not here today. Neither is Rick, but we got Zach filling in. Zach, how's it going? It's going good, my friend. It's been a hot minute since I've been on on uh, one of these podcasts, so it's uh, it's great to be back. Always love having you on. We got Nation Dan as well, and uh, I should tease this right off the bat. We're going to have a special guest coming up. In, I think, about 15-ish minutes is a good time frame there. But Nation Dan, uh, you got the old Friedman bump this week. So I'd imagine it's been an exciting 24 hours for you. Well, yeah. You know, I'm not used to having the uh, the old phone blow up. But, yeah, it was, uh, I was out driving in the storm. And, and I tweeted somebody else's video randomly enough. And, and uh, you know, just used the tweet video function. And, uh, yeah, then all of a sudden I was getting texts saying that, Elliot Friedman tweeted me and Spectre and just the list went on and it was a weird uh, it was a weird night of just mentions full of you know angry angry hockey fans that were ready to give up on the season because uh, the entrance way to Fort Hall flooded. I believe initially you got the Chris Johnson bump, which isn't as exciting, I, I guess. But it was Johnson and then it was Friedman tweeting saying this is the video Chris Johnson was talking about, which was you tweeting out a video that someone else posted. <laughs> yes, which was actually taken from somebody on Reddit, and then it was taken down by the person on Reddit. It's a whole thing. The internet, but, uh, yeah, the internet, yeah, the internet is absolutely wild. And that was on full display yesterday. Obviously, I'd assume if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the videos of the entrance at Rogers Place, or one of them 
flooded from the storm. And then we also had the whole roof science thing going on where people were like, holy shit, the roof is collapsed. But then other people were quick to jump and be like, wait, no, the roof isn't collapsed. It's always like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's like when the body language experts come out of the woodwork and they're telling you about, yeah. you know, X player thinks this because of the way that their face looked when they heard this. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, it's been an interesting 24 hours. But the main takeaway and, the, and I think the biggest thing for everybody that we can be excited about is that hockey is still going to be okay. They've got two weeks to, you know, mop up and, and dehumidify the air. I think that would be the only concern for me is that the humidity might leach into the arena, which they've had an issue with uh with Ford Hall in previous years. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think everything will be fine. Zach, do you think it's going to be a problem at all? Like, they'll, they should get it fixed, right? This isn't going to stop the NHL. No, it's not. I mean, and Ford Hall's uh, well well enough away from where the rink is and where the ice surfaces are. So I don't foresee there being any issues, really. I, I, I mean, sitting from afar, I don't foresee there being any issues, right? Um, of course, who knows once they actually really dig into it and stuff, but I, I think it's going to be just fine. I mean, we're still two weeks away from having a, uh, any any resemblance of a game being played uh, at Rogers anyway, so I, I think we should be fine. I think oh. something to remember, sorry, I was just going to say is that I heard it through the grapevine. I can't remember where I read it. I I can't remember what the situation was. But anyways, it was a player on the Oilers that was complaining about the the ice surface at Rogers the first year that they played there. Yeah. And and I know that it was like it was just the the airflow from Fort Hall that they just weren't able to regulate as much. And so that would be my only concern just just from my even just from my curling background is that humidity getting into the arena can really frig with the ice. Um, but they have the equipment in place for to be able to mitigate that stuff in new arenas, right? Like, yeah, I know that in older arenas, sometimes they have to like install dehumidifiers and stuff, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's two weeks out and it's also a new arena. So we're yeah. fine. The other thing too, like we've all been inside Roger's place. Um, Dan, I don't know if you have, but Zach, you've been up into the press box before. It is cold up there. Like they keep it pretty chilly. I'm uh, maybe I'm just by myself. No, it's cold in there. And people who've sat in the <laughs> lower bowl can probably attest this too. There's like a draft coming in there. Now that there's no fans to worry about keeping comfortable, they can honestly make it as cold as they need to in that rink, right? Like the players aren't going to be freezing on the bench or anything like that. No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, and, and see, Tyler, I got a little bit more meat on my bones than you do. So uh, that could be a reason as to why I'm, I'm not as cold <laughs> as uh, you may be up there. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's going to work out really well. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, um, you know, how they're going to pipe noise in and, and all that sort of stuff. I know there was a couple of, where there's players talking this week uh, that they're going to have to try and find some new ways to kind of create their own energy out there because uh, they can't feed off of the fans. So it's going to be interesting to see what uh, uh, what happens. Yeah, Zach, you were on. Uh, you were you were joining in on some of those Zoom calls from the last week here. Um, correct, right? I am correct in that because I saw you live tweeting. I was you? I was following some uh, YouTube live streams. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so they were they were having them all run out there. Um, so I was just tuning in from on them there, but uh, today they didn't have it online, so I couldn't do my usual uh, tweet along. So uh, we, who knows why that is? But we got uh, we got some news from that call today. Actually, the one the only time Zach wasn't there. Uh, but when it comes to the fake crowd noise, it'll be interesting to see because Major League Baseball. This is from Tim Healy, I believe he's of the Athletic, or he might be of Newsday. Uh, every team is told to use it in Major League Baseball. MLB is giving clubs the sounds. And then teams can also add a few of their own. They're also being given a touchpad device to use it from. And uh, the fan noise is going to be derived from audio recorded for the video game MLB The Show. Uh, which I, I think that's pretty interesting. But you mentioned some of the players 
brought that up. Uh, was that just kind of their general sense was we got to create our own energy or did any of them seem bothered by the fact there might be fake crowd noise? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think there's, there's just sort of that semblance of like, well, we know what's going on. We know what has to happen. Um, we know that there can't be any fans. It's just kind of going to be interesting to see what sort of happens when, when they get out there. Like it's going to be such a different playing environment for these guys. I mean, even, even uh, Dave Tippett was asked at one point if he was going to be wearing a mask and, he said something along the lines of no. And he's like, I, I usually mumble enough already. So um, it'd be hard enough for everybody to hear him down there. But I, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see um, what that sort of adaptation is for these players. Cause they're used to playing in front of packed stadiums, yeah. with, you know, tens of thousands of people. And um, there's going to be nobody in those stands. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see if that plays into it. And who knows, maybe we might be just overthinking it a little bit and, and the players will all be fine once they get out there and get their legs underneath them. Yeah, like I was watching some of the MLS games and like those players are still getting real fired up when they score goals. So there's a part of me that's like, well, with no crowd cheering them on and all that, like, will we see big playoff celebrations after goals? Will we see spirited scrums after the whistles and all that? Or will it be a little bit more subdued? Will it maybe take a round for the players to get used to it? What do you think, Dan? Well, I mean, like you guys, I know Tyler for sure, you played beer league and rec yeah. league stuff. And like, I mean, it's. It, I think it's just a harken back to the old days, right? Yeah, maybe. Where they had, you know, six or seven people in the stands, kind of thing, and and you're just you you're not in the NHL if you're not a competitive person, just naturally. Um, I think that definitely there's certain players that that feed off of the crowd's energy, whether it's good or bad. But I, I think for the most part, these guys are pros, and and they'll just they'll find a way to get to that next level of uh, of excitement. And and honestly, maybe it takes a little bit to, off of a guy like even like a Milan Lucic, you know, where he's yeah. been where he's been belittled by fans and and begrudgingly cheered for sometimes. So it's it, I think that there's there's good and there's bad with it. I I just like personally, I would love to see, and I can't you can't see it right now, but I would love to see like no ads on the boards, like a clean sheet yeah. of ice, just go right back to the old retro style of uh, of hockey there. But yeah, I, I think it'll just be kind of a it's going to be a new thing for everybody. I think it'll take a couple of games for everybody to get used to it, but I think it's going to be exciting nonetheless. So, so what's the uh, over under going to be on F bombs heard through the broadcast on any single game? Because I imagine there's going to be a couple of those that are uh, going to be a little easier yeah. to pick up nowadays. Yeah, I, I think a hundred percent it will be. And I think that's honestly part of the motivation behind putting in crowd noises, not just to help with the atmosphere, but to drown out the language you don't want fans hearing. I've said it a few times on the different podcasts, but like, even if you as a fan sit there and go, I'd pay extra to be able to hear them swear on the ice. Like that's not happening. The point isn't about the NHL making my, like they, for publicity sake, they do not want you sitting there listening to Alex Ovechkin drop F-bombs or players say whatever they're going to say, because I'm sure there is some rather colorful language that might not fly. Uh, that might like, I mean, it would be a PR problem is what I'm getting at here. Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta have it. You gotta have some kind of tape yeah. delay. It's not gonna be. It's gonna be like five or six seconds. Like it's enough for just a a sensor to mm-hmm. to blur it out or add in the crowd noise to just be like oh, whatever, right? Like it's just yeah. who knows. But yeah, you're right. It, you can't. Not at this point. You can't. You can't be playing around. It's not. You know, this is this is dicey time for every sports league, and you do not want to have a league canceled, quote unquote, because somebody goes and says something in the in the passion of the moment. I filled out my uh, application for accreditation for the NHL playoffs to see if I can go sit in the building and watch the game. So I'll let you guys know what nice. kind of language is going on if there. 
unless the NHL denies me, which is a very realistic possibility. I'm, I tease we got a big guest coming up in a few minutes here. We're going to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, everyone's favorite. And I actually don't think I'm exaggerating when I say everyone's favorite. Gene Principe going to be stopping by in a few minutes. We're going to talk about life without hockey, life, that, life now that hockey's coming back. And uh, like for me personally, the one area I want to touch on him with as someone who's trying to get into that line of work or into the sports media world, I want to know how Gene became Gene. I want to know what his steps were to eventually becoming the man we know and love now. But uh, what about you guys? What are some areas you really want to hit on with Gino? Well, I just, I mean, you're right. Like, it, it's cool to hear the, the broadcasting background for him. Um, and, and just generally the fact that he's an Edmontonian through and through. Uh, born and raised in Edmonton, you know, cheered for this team right from the get, I think. Uh, he could confirm that for us. Uh, but I just, I don't know. Like, he's one of those guys that I, I genuinely, as my dog pipes in here, I don't mm-hmm. know if you hear that. Also very uh, excited. Sorry about that. Yeah, he's very excited about Gene uh, coming through. Uh, for me, it's like, where's this guy? And I don't even know how to ask this question. But, like, how does he get to be, like, known as, like, just the nicest guy in the world? And, like, and like never, you never hear about bad interactions with Gene Principe. The guy... I've met the guy now. I met Gene in about four or five different venues, and it's always it's always him talking to just everybody. Yeah, he's not he's not a guy that you know avoids interaction with the fans. He was on the streets in Cologne, showing people around where you know he's he's three thousand miles away from his home, and he's still showing people around and showing people a great time. It just I I think that I think that Oilers fans. For like, I would say ninety-eight percent of weather fans just appreciate him for what he is, and the fact that he's able to make us laugh through some of the worst times as weather fans in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I know I, I met Gene once um, in Red Beer for the Memorial Cup about four years ago, and I had the same sort of experience. Like, we ended up sitting in the middle of a game for half an hour talking, and he just took such an interest into you know me and my journey as to how I got to. Um, where I was at that point. And I think that's going to be something interesting too. And I really want to know more about, um, you know, how he's kind of developed his, his broadcasting style because everybody knows Gene Principe for his puns and play on words. And I'm kind of curious to know how he got to uh, um, have that sort of as his, uh, his niche. Yeah, and of course, we'll talk to him about uh, stepping back into Rogers' place to cover the Oilers. Uh, the team been back at it now for about a week, and a few interesting storylines came out of that. Uh, we had Caleb Jones unfit to play for the first three, four days of camp, and of course, that's what the NHL saying now. Everything is unfit to play. They're not going to come out right and say that a player has COVID. They're not even going to say if he has a wrist injury or a leg injury. Just everything is labeled as unfit to play. Caleb Jones returns today. Caleb Jones talks to the media, reveals he was asymptomatic, but he was positive for COVID-19. He's back now. He's healthy. Uh, Before we get into Jones specifically, Zach, for you, as a guy, like you have a journalist background, how do you feel about that label of unfit to play? Because really there's kind of, in my opinion, there's two ways to look at it. There's players get privacy, all of that. It's, I mean, the players kind of decided on this, right? So it's kind of what you got to do to respect their privacy. On the other hand, it might just lead to more rampant speculation about what's going on. So what's your take on it? I think, I think you're spot on with the second one. I, I mean, it bothers me personally that the NHL is taking this course of action. Um, I think they should be a little bit more transparent about injuries. Um, and especially when it comes to something like COVID, because it's something that's so in the forefront for uh, every community across the world right now. Um, you know, and I think it was interesting to see Caleb Jones step up and say, well, Hey, 
you know, I actually had it. This is what my experience was. I was asymptomatic. I'm okay now. You know, I think it's really important for these guys because they are um, looked up to by so many people. So many people idolize NHL players, right? So, you know, and we've seen it already happen and we're, we're what, five days in a training camp? Um, you know, you look at Caleb Jones. I wrote on Monday about how he wasn't, uh, uh, or he was deemed unfit to play and, and so many question marks came up. And then you look down the highway at Johnny Goudreau and the fact that he's practicing away from the main group. There's more speculation I find that's coming from the NHL choosing to use this language than if they were just upfront and honest about what was going on, you know? And again, too, like Dave Tippett was asked multiple times about the status of Caleb Jones. And, and you could really kind of hear in his voice that he was being really careful um, to kind of not overspeak about, um, about what was going on. Or you look at even for Edmonton playing Chicago, a guy like Corey Crawford, nobody knows what's going on with Corey Crawford. It's one of the biggest mysteries around the league right now. And, I just feel like there's so much negative speculation that's starting to come out um, just because the NHL has decided they want to be a little bit more quiet about uh, uh, everything that's kind of going on, which I, I think is completely the wrong thing to be doing right now. See, I, I, I completely understand uh, for both of you guys, especially um, the journalist kind of feeling there that you want to understand and you want to know where everybody's coming from. But uh, just speaking from my own experience, uh, very early on, I I was in close contact to somebody that that had possibly had tested for COVID, and um, just speaking from my own personal experience, that that person it was it was outed to a couple of people that had no business knowing whether whether we had been tested or not, and uh, and the question started coming at me personally, and I had to deal with it, and and the person that that was possibly testing positive for this. Uh, had to deal with it. The thing that the thing that I have to think about, or that I think about with players like an Austin Matthews, when Steve Simmons um, outed his name pretty early on, is that it's a very it's a very personal thing in the sense that um, every everything that you did for the last two weeks before you get diagnosed gets called into question, right? So every time you went to a McDonald's drive-through, every time that you went to a grocery store, that's all going to be that's all going to be traced contact contact trace back to you, which is, which is good because you need, you need to, you need people to know, but also like there's people in your life that, that need to hear that, you know, possibly you had COVID and you didn't, you know, you maybe didn't wear a mask that day or whatever, the, whatever the situation is. There's just a lot of like personal stuff behind it for me that you're absolutely right. This is a very like, this is like life altering kind of situation, but it's just, to me, that that speaks to the fact that it's like it's it's up to the player to to be able to come forward and say that they had COVID rather than some media type, you know, getting a source that says that they had it. And there's no control over, you know, who who got who got who had contact with me for two weeks previous. Like it's just a it creates a nightmare for them personally. So I I I understand it from both sides of things, but I just I believe that that a player deserves at this point with a global pandemic going on right now, players deserve the right to be able to control the the narrative themselves and, and speak to it too, because it is important that Caleb Jones comes out afterwards and says, yeah, I was asymptomatic. There's a reason that I wasn't at practice. Here's why, you know, and, and this was my experience with it. Um, but he did have to let his know, his parents know, and he had to let his family know that, that he did deal with it. So it's, it's just a, it's, you see it from both sides of yeah. things. It's a, it's a really shitty, tough situation for everybody. Yeah, and I, and yeah, I guess I it comes definitely. down to like 
the general trust between the fan base and players. Because, like, I think the three of us, if we saw a player test positive, we would understand that this could happen anywhere. You could be super careful and still get this thing. These players are traveling like it could happen. But then you're going to get the dumbasses on Twitter. You're going to get the dumbasses on Instagram in the comments being like, what a dipshit, blah, blah, blah. You might get an irresponsible media member starting to question that player's commitment to the team. Like, I, on, I'm of the side of, man, if everyone was just responsible and kind of cared a little bit more, like, we wouldn't have a problem saying, oh, yeah, this player tested positive. But then you would have the irresponsible assholes who would step out there and be like, oh, what the hell was he doing? He costed them a chance at winning their series, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's, it's interesting you, you bring that up. I was listening to Elliot Friedman on uh, Bob Stoffer's show today, this afternoon, and I guess there's some Friedman saying that there's um, definitely quite a bit of peer pressure going on amongst the players in respective cities right now. Like, it sounds like the, the, the players are being pretty hard on themselves and pretty hard on each other um, in order to kind of remind everybody, like, hey, like, we really need to, like, keep our shit together here because... You know, I think at the end of the day, the healthiest team is going to win the Stanley Cup this year. Like, I think that's yeah. probably what it's going to come down to. Like, whoever has the, the healthiest players remaining. Um, so I think at the very least, it's good to, and refreshing to hear um, that the players are, are legitimately taking this seriously. And, and uh, you know, it's not like they're walking outside of the bubble to go pick up some fast food like we saw happen in the NBA uh, earlier this week, right? Yeah, and you mentioned healthy's team wins the cup. I, I think it could be a situation where, like, if you're not healthy, you might not make it out of the first two rounds because you're going to have players sitting out here and there. You could have six players unhealthy at one point if they do test positive or something like that. Um, but it is good to hear, like you said, that the players give a shit, that they're not being reckless, yeah. that there isn't a team out there, or a group of players that are like, oh, it's a fucking hoax. I'm, I'll, I'll go to the bar if I want to go to the bar, right? Exactly. And I think in theory, you know, once everybody's able to get into the bubble, I think things might be a little bit difficult um, initially getting everybody into Edmonton, everybody into Toronto. But I think once we kind of maybe get through that first batch of potential positive tests, um, you know, I think there's a good chance that we could see, um, you know, a lot of these teams staying healthy because the way the bubble is designed is for exactly that. I mean, the NHL's goal is to keep everybody healthy. I think they've done a damn fine job of building a bubble that is going to be responsible in keeping um, everybody safe. It's, you know, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people that are going to be coming to, to Edmonton, Edmonton and Toronto for this uh, tournament playoffs, whatever the hell you want to call it. On the topic of this, uh, you know, unfit to play and all that, we're going to be joined by Gene Principe in just a little bit here. But the last topic you hinted at is Zach. Corey Crawford, deemed unfit to play. It's now day whatever it is, four, five, six of Blackhawks training camp. He's not there. We don't know if he's in Chicago. We don't know if it's a upper body, lower body injury. We don't know what it is. The longer this goes on, though, the more I start to go, is there a chance Corey Crawford doesn't play? And if Corey Crawford doesn't play, I mean, that drastically changes things from, from an Oilers perspective. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think Edmonton has a really solid advantage coming into this, yeah. uh, this series, like in the first place, you know, obviously you got McDavid and dry title. Um, but I was on another podcast last night and I kind of really expressed my, uh, sort of appreciation. I suppose if that's the best way to put it, uh, over the depth that the Oilers finally seem to have up front. Um, you know, and, and there's a chance for the Oilers bottom six to come in and, and really make some noise and, and put up some points. 
you know, then you look at that Chicago team and, and they're not a very deep team up front. Uh, you know, they got two, they got two decent lines up front. Their bottom six is fairly weak and pretty young. Their defense is abysmal and, and Duncan Keith and Brent Seymour are far from the defensemen that they used to be uh, many moves ago. And then, you know, you're right. You look at what happens if, if Corey Crawford isn't able to play. I mean, he didn't have a great season in the first place. Um, but you know, you would still rather have a guy like Corey Crawford in that over uh, a guy like Malcolm Subban, for example, right? Yeah. So I, I think that if if it turns out that Crawford is um, is not able to play, it's only going to um, add to the Oilers' uh, ability, I think, to to come out on top of the series. Well, yeah, it seems like it. It, <laughs> it sounds it sounds very like very rough of me to say, but. It, it only seems fair that Chicago should have some struggles. I don't know. Like there's a team that, that that's a team that dumped off everybody. They dumped off Robin Lehner, who's probably, who was probably their best goalie this oh, year yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in the trade deadline. They weren't, they weren't planning on having a playoff berth as a result of the, the deals that they, that they, they made. traded Gustafson so, too. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like when they're, when you're, when your backup goalies are what Vegas is, what was like fourth option in net, um, it, it, I don't know. It just seems I'm I'm okay with it. Like I I agree with you guys. We we talked about it. You guys mentioned it before in the previous topic that you know that the healthiest team is going to win the cup. Well, I I think that's kind of true about most years, especially like making yeah. the playoffs in general. Right? The healthiest teams are the ones that that go through all the way through because because even if they are even if they do have some injury struggles, the next guy up is is good enough to to hold the net. And I think you could say that about you could say that about the Oilers. Um, that either that I that the police roll in on my hot take. Is it uh, is that, that you, Dan, or is it Zach? That's me. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. Zach. Living downtown, how often do you hear sirens? Like uh, they're they're part of my everyday. Yeah. I don't even. I actually didn't even notice sirens in the background before <laughs> you guys mentioned it. So uh, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of what happened. Okay, sorry, Dan. But, totally uh, cut you off. That's okay. That's okay. So yeah. So if Mike Smith, if Mike Smith disappeared from practice yeah. right now, was deemed unfit to play, we have Nico Koskinen in the net, and that's. And I think no Oiler fan is upset about that. Uh, you look at most teams that are in the playoffs already, have already qualified for the playoffs, or are the top seeds in the qualifier rounds. I call those the JW Marriott teams. Um, those teams all have at least serviceable backups. Yeah. Whereas Chicago, like I said, they were they're done. They were they were already they were already out of the playoffs. To, to, they they weren't planning to be here. So yeah, you don't know what I, I hope all the best for Crawford, but at the same time I'm not weeping for Chicago. No, and I yeah, think absolutely. that's a great way I mean, to put it. At the end of the day you, you just hope that he's healthy, right? Like on a personal, you know, outside of hockey level, you just hope that he's healthy yeah. and that whatever's going on isn't isn't serious or anything like that, right? But no, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see what happens. And, and how funny is it the way that they put these uh, bubble teams or the the teams in the hotels, right? Like I thought that was pretty hilarious. How you know you got Edmonton yeah. hanging out in the JW Marriott and Calgary and Vancouver and some of these other teams. Yeah, you guys can go stay at Sutton Place, which by no means is a hotel yeah. that I would be upset and stick my nose up at it saying for free but uh but yeah 100 percent. we talked about that last week and and tyler kind of said like it it looks like the oilers could have couldn't have penciled it in better than maybe just throwing in the minnesota wild just because but uh yeah it's all of our it's all of our least favorite team in the west at the sutton hotel i i like the way you put it on the crawford thing though like i i hope Corey crawford is okay 
Um, I would feel bad for Corey Crawford if he can't play. I would not feel bad for Chicago Blackhawks fans if Corey Crawford can't play, I think is the way uh, yeah. we'd all kind of put that. Because you're right. like they, In a sense, like they almost deserve a little bit of adversity when it comes into this whole play-in series. For me as a betting guy, and I wrote a, I wrote a little betting preview up on the site. It went up uh, Friday morning. Uh, for me as a betting guy, I'm looking at that and I'm trying to get my money in as quick as I can on this series because if it is deemed Corey Crawford's not going to play, like if, if it comes out and he's at practice on Monday, the odds aren't going to change. But if it comes out on Monday that he is not playing, the odds on the Oilers are going to shift so hard and you're probably not, it's probably at that point not even worth putting money on them because they're probably just going to run away with the thing anyways. Uh, before we step aside and get set for Gene Prince, we need to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Skip the Dishes. I'm eating tonight. I think I'm going to do Skip the Dishes because as soon as we're done this podcast and I edit it, I can probably have the food here if I time it right. Like right when I'm done work, nice. Skip the Dishes driver drives up. Don't forget, tip your driver. They got tons of Edmonton and area restaurants on there as well. I'm out in St. Albert. I can get Skip the Dishes out in St. Albert as well. SkipTheDishes.ca. Find them on your app store. All right, guys, we are going to step aside here. And when we come back, we are going to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Oilers in-game host, Gene Prince-Bay, going to be joining us on Oilers Nation Radio. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Welcome back. Episode 95 of Oilers Nation Radio. Tyler Remchuk, Nation Dan, Zach Lang, and our special guest this week, Gene Principe. Gene, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for giving us some time. Episode 95. It took a while, hey? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're slowly <laughs> climbing towards uh, slowly, slowly climbing towards 100. Uh, we haven't stopped yeah. at all with COVID and hockey, uh, hockey taking a halt. So it's been a bit of a struggle over the last three months here. But uh, what about you? How did you, uh, how did you kind of fill time over the last three, four months here with hockey being put on pause? Uh, well, Zach, Dan, and Tyler, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, well, I, you know, as people say, are, are you busy? And I said, well, uh, no, compared to, you know, the Oilers being in a playoff run and being in the playoffs and who knows how far they, they could have gone up to this point. Uh, but yes, when I thought of the idea of being at home and not being able to go anywhere, I, I didn't think I could do anything. And uh, as it turns out, uh, as I say to people, I'm not necessarily have been working hard, but I've been trying hard uh, because you, you've got to try and, you, you know, you got to work the phones, the texts, the emails, uh, social media, via Instagram, Twitter, you know, you pick, pick your way. And you guys have probably been doing it as well. You reach out to people. You hope that they'll connect. You hope they'll get back to you. Uh, some of it was was easier in regards to NHL teams and, and PR people that I've known for you know, a couple of decades or many years. Uh, so yeah, it was it was busier than I expected. I actually, it's ironic. I just sort of I had a, a little setup. I had a at a table. I had a little toolbox. I had my light. That's kind of what I've been putting the laptop on when I've been doing these or. Uh, my own phone and I just sort of collapsed it because I thought okay I think that's it I think it'll be you know it's still zoom calls but seeing things a little more in person now than we have been in March April and May and June one of the things you've been doing is uh, the Instagram live interviews as well uh, how did that kind of come up why why was that something you wanted to do well I, I think it goes back to the try hard right uh, you know there's uh, like athletes always say there's certain things you can control and I could control how how hard I tried to to wrangle guests. And early on, um, I thought, you know, it'd be kind of neat. I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, I wanted to, to look busy. I wanted to look like I was trying to be busy. 
and then it sort of took on a bit of a life of itself in the sense that I, I decided on Throwback Thursday and, and uh, Fighter Friday. Uh, Throwback Thursday was easy. Former Oilers, yeah. lots of them around. Uh, Fighter Friday was a bit more challenging because, you know, the, the guy has to be a fighter. I actually thought about diversifying a bit, and you didn't necessarily have to be a fighter regarding hockey. Could be a, could be a boxer. Could be, you know, someone in mixed martial arts. But I ended up uh, sticking with, with fighting and hockey, and uh, I interviewed so many, so many different people. Uh, my job, I'm usually three questions a minute, see you later. Uh, these were these are half hour long, and as you guys know, you you get to know people and know about them. And uh, you know Bernie Nichols, uh, Eric Griba, uh, oh Fighter Friday, John Scott, uh, Tim Hunter, Rob Ray, uh, Andrew Ferens. Uh, you know, just uh, like I, I've forgotten how many uh, I, I did. Uh, but now with the season kind of starting, I thought, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to kind of put those on hold as we're going to be up and running with games. But it's something I'd like to go back to. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, a different avenue for me. I've interviewed people my whole life, but never for, for that long. Uh, so I had I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. And thank you for asking. Uh, well, you were talking about like, you know, usually your job is the intermission hits and all that. You know, it's one to three minutes, quick in and out. You've known a lot of these guys from, you know, covering the team as long as you have. Was there one guy who, throughout the course of a 30-minute interview, you kind of sat back after and went, you know what, I learned a lot about this guy that I didn't know. Is there one conversation that kind of stands out in that way? Well, I really learned a lot. Uh, you know, two two more recent ones. Bernie Nichols, a pumpernickel. Um, you know, he was incredible. You know, the other thing, too, is I, I think it's hard. You know, people would say, get Zach Cassian on for Fighter Friday. And I'm like, you know, it's difficult for a current player to be 100% honest about things. Um, so I said, you know, I'm not. I'm, it's more about the past. And Bernie was like, he's like, you know, if I played in Toronto, I got numbers like Daryl Sittler. I'd be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, one of you know, one of five guys to have a 70 plus goal season. I think he's one of eight to have 150 points in a season or more. Uh, his points per game is is in the top 20. He fell short of 500 goals at 475. That that might cost you because 500, as you guys know, yeah. boom, it just gets your attention immediately. And then on the other side of things, um, John Scott, who many of us know, especially when he made his little uh, historic yeah. all-star run. You know, I had no idea, uh, and you guys are young, but uh, around Edmonton, when people say Black Friday, they think of that day back in 1987 uh, when there was a tornado and it ripped through a trailer park in Edmonton and killed I think it was 25 or 27 people. Well, John Scott's family lived there. Wow. And I had no idea. He said they were there. They heard there was a storm coming. They left. They came back and everything was gone. Their car, their mobile home. Uh, John came from a family where neither of his parents graduated high school. And he went on to go to university in the States, get an engineering degree, play in the NHL. And I thought, wow, you know, that's something as long as I covered the Oilers and the NHL. I didn't know that. So those are two of the ones that stick out. But this is what I love. When, when, when you have these players on, they have great stories. But the difference is their stories, we know who they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I might have stories about my friends or you about your friends. We may not know who those people are. But when Bernie Nichols is talking about, he talked about Joe Murphy and how he's reached out to Joe. And when Joe would pick up the phone, he would talk to him. But as soon as he would say, it's Bernie, he'd say, oh, I got to go, you know, like, it just like incredible stuff that in one to three minutes, guys, 
I just don't have the time to dig that deep when you're doing post game interviews or intermission interviews. Do yeah. you think that during do you think that during these kind of quarantine interviews that you're getting a more real, like honest kind of interview? I know you, you like you're saying that a longer interview usually can get that stuff out, but do you think that people are just a little bit more disarmed nowadays? A hundred percent. I mean, we're all going through something that uh, only anyone who's a hundred plus would have have gone through, and uh, everybody's just a bit different and a bit more open. And uh, one nice thing about doing these uh, social media Instagrams, Instagram lives, listen. For a lot of the times that I was doing this, and people were just at home, it wasn't like, oh, I'm at my kid's soccer practice, or, you know, my my son is swimming, or we're out camping, or, I mean, they were home, right? So they were just so, so easy to to do uh, that, you know, it was was just fantastic. And I think that, yes, uh, that they're past players, current situation that we're in. Uh, so kind of gloves were off. Dwayne Rolison was another guy, you know, talking about that cup run, and he, he talked about how he was staying at a hotel downtown, and every day they would they would just drop a paper off at his, his room, and he never read them, and he just put them in the other room, and he had this huge stack of papers. Uh, many of them had him, you know, either on the front of the sports section or the entire paper, and he talked about Jason Smith, uh, you know, going from basically uh, when the, the flu hit during the third round against Anaheim, and he, he went from the hospital, intravenous, off to a game, played the game, went back to the hospital, more IV. Now, 2006, we were just getting up in the social media world. Maybe now that would get out. It didn't then, and I was like, I mean, I covered the team. I never heard that sport. So I'm a big fan, like you guys, of, of storytelling and storytellers. And there were so many that, that I heard during those Instagram lives. Well, speaking of storytelling, let's hear your story. Because as we have, you know, we've had a few uh, ex-Oilers on and all that. And we like to know, you know, when they're coming up through minor hockey. When was the moment they thought they could be a professional hockey player? Uh, for you, when when did you make the decision that journalism broadcasting was going to be your career? Well, I was, I was pretty young. Uh, my dream was to, to wear the uh, Italian national soccer jersey and play for Italy in the World Cup. <laughs> you know, it wasn't going to happen, but this, this kid from the north side of Edmonton who, who loved playing soccer dreamed of, taking it as far as he could. And I remember, uh, not the case anymore, but back when I was playing U16 soccer, um, I was playing club soccer and they had tryouts for the provincial team. We had no indoor bubbles, no indoor facilities. Mm-hmm. So we would, we would train a Commonwealth stadium. And uh, I remember getting cut, not the first cut, but certainly not the last cut. And I, you know, you're about 14, 15 and you're kind of going, well, what am I going to do? I was kind of heading into high school and I'd always loved sports and loved watching sports. And I thought, well, if I can't be a pro athlete, what would kind of be the second best thing? And I thought, well, to cover pro athletes would, would be the second best thing. I, I love sports. I love playing all sports, you know, basketball, volleyball team, hockey, soccer, uh, other pickup sports. I just, I wasn't, you know, too fa- fast enough or smart enough. I just wasn't that good at anything that I could ever take it as far as professional. So I, I, my, my plan B was, was to do that. I had a plan C and a plan D. I, I also thought about being a psychiatrist and a lawyer. Um, and as I was going through high school, I thought, mm, the marks aren't really there for that. But I didn't want to go to school for seven more years. You know, I got out of high school 17, and I was like, I don't really want to go to school for seven years. I just didn't have interest in doing that to be a psychiatrist or a lawyer, uh, Nate which you guys are familiar with. It was a two-year program, and that was my first choice anyways. I said, okay, I want to get through that, and I want to start working and get going. So 
that was kind of the background that, that took me through my teens and into Nate and helped me graduate from there. I, your puns hold up great on the air. I don't know how they would work in a courtroom, though, hey? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely criminal. Uh, I, I judge you, but yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, no, I, I don't think that that would, uh, the judge would have to be pretty understanding, yeah. you know. To, but you're right. I think sports is a better avenue for puns than, than dealing with uh, judges and lawyers or, you know, uh, dealing with people who are, yeah, you know, not maybe you know have mental health challenges yeah. or have some issues, they want to talk to a psychiatrist about. You mentioned wanting to I, get, get in Nate oh, and get out as quick as you can. Sorry, Dan. No, you go, you go, because I'm gonna. Okay, I was just gonna say, like, one of the things, Gene, we t- we talked about what we were gonna ask you uh, in our little preamble, and and I didn't know how I was gonna work it in, but but you know, you're you're an Edmontonian through and through, and there's something to be said, I think, and I and I, I'm just kind of curious if your thoughts. Like for most most people, when they meet media people, it's just kind of you know, hey, and then it's on to the next person. But for you, every single time I've ever seen you out in public, I I'm usually in a queue of people wanting to talk to Gene, and and you take your time and 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 I I I really I think that most people that talk or watch the show or listen to this show uh, can agree that that you take the time to really give people um, the the time of day. I guess is the best way to put it. But like, has that ever become you know too much for you? Like, it, like is it is it just a is it it's a mental thing for you to give people the time of day every time? Well, first of all, Dan, thanks for saying that. I, I definitely try. I remember when my kids were young; they're seventeen, nineteen, twenty-one now. But when they were in school and you know kindergarten and in early grades, and and they'd see someone come up with me and come up to me and maybe have a full conversation. Go, Dan, how do you know that guy? And I'd be like, I don't know him. <laughs> They're like, I'm going to talk to you. And and then as they got older, they kind of, you know, put two and two together. I, I feel like uh, that the public are, are my bosses. Uh, I, I have distinct bosses who, who guide me, and direct me, and ask me to do certain things. In some cases, ask me not to do certain things. But, I mean, these are the people that, that make you who you are. And so I always, uh, you know, the, 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 there isn't enough time in the day sometimes to, to speak with everybody or make them feel, uh, you know, a little bit extra special by asking more than, oh, hey, how are you? And, and kind of walking by and asking them a little bit about themselves. So I know everything I need to know about me. I don't know about you or Zach or Tyler the, the way I know about myself. So I, I like to try and make people feel like like I care, which which I do. Uh, you, you know, and, and the way I see it, too, is someone – has taken the time to come say hello to you and talk to you. Listen, people who maybe don't like my work, they usually just kind of, you know, they don't, they don't do that. Yeah. So the ones that do, I'm thinking, Hey, look at this guy. He, he appears to like what I do. He's come up to say hello to me. The last thing I want to do is, is brush him off or have no time for that person, whether it's a guy or a girl or a kid or a senior. Or, I mean, that's the thing with what I do and what you guys do. It's not a, it's not a small window uh, of age when it comes to the people that, might like what you're doing. It's it's from I you know five and six year olds up to sixty five, seventy five year olds and, and up. So uh, thank you for saying that. And I I you know I want to be known as someone who knows what they're doing on TV. But hopefully when people walk away from meeting me, they say, hey, pretty nice guy, not a bad guy at all. And I want to carry that into a, a question that I have too. You know, you have a very unique broadcast style. 
Uh, you know, you have the play on words, you have the puns, and, and that's really what you're well known for. How did you kind of develop that style? And how did you kind of decide, I guess, what kind of a, a broadcaster you wanted to be? And at what point in your career did that kind of come to be? Well, when I, when I first started, you know, back in 1987, um, I, I didn't really have uh, an idea of what I was going to be. I just wanted a job and wanted to start working. And then as time went on, I, I took kind of a humorous approach to things, particularly, I would say, into the, uh, you know, from 1987, then early in the 1990s, I did a half hour sports show every night, which was a great avenue to be able to to have some fun, to try and entertain, which was something that was really starting to develop back then. And I just kind of kept going with it, uh, with that sort of attempt at entertainment. But then it was 06. Uh, you know, I got on TV uh, doing the order game, something I always wanted to do. And I kind of felt like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just screw around here. I, you know, this is a dream job for me. And I, I want to almost be taken seriously. And I, I sort of fell out of that approach for a while because I was just so intent on getting my job done right, getting the facts right, getting the figures right. And certainly not offending anyone. But then uh, kind of mid-2000s, I uh, started to circle back. The Oilers had that great run in 06. The next year, as you guys know, won two out of their last 20 games. And I found myself, you know, as, as I always say, I, I kind of feel like I'm the first impression of the game. First person you see or the first person you hear. And you want to set a good tone, right? Not, hey, they've lost five in a row. Power plays 0 for 24. Uh, goals against average. Listen, hockey fans, especially Oilers fans, they know exactly what's up as well, if not better than me. So I wanted to try and find positives and work on those positives. And then it just started to kind of develop from there. I said, you know, I want, I want to have some fun here because the team is really struggling. And I, and I don't want people to start off sort of down and out before the game's even begun. So that was kind of my approach. And then it just sort of steamrolled and steamrolled and just is like a snowball. Start off small, start off small, got a little bigger, got a little bigger. And here we are you know, almost 15 years later uh, of the props and the puns. And, uh, you know, I'm still doing it. I wouldn't quite say I'm Frank, Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, but I'm going to try and continue to do it this way, um, you know, until someone says, hey, that doesn't cut it anymore. We're, you know, you're going to have to change or, or we're going to change you. Have you ever gotten any pushback from a higher up or anything like that? Being like, knock it off or like, too far, Gene, too far. Oh, totally, totally. And you know what, guys, as much as, um, as much as, you know, at the time you're kind of going, ah, you know, I didn't, I don't agree or I don't like that, or I'm not good with that. It, it's good. And it is necessary. Uh, unless I'm going to run my own business and tell my employees mm-hmm. what to do, I'm working for other people and companies my entire career. So I don't have a problem with it. And, and many times you have to understand they're doing it for you. They're doing it to try and safeguard for you that you don't do something, say something, wear something uh, that will be taken in in the wrong way. And especially in the last, well, few months and even in the last few years, uh, things have changed a lot. I remember, um, and I, I bring it up because the election is almost around the corner for the United States. I remember the inauguration, the night that Trump uh, won and he was, and then they had the official ceremony swearing him into the, the the White House, I wore a Donald Trump mask uh, in my opening. And I talked about Talbot building a wall, you know, and uh, it was something about McDavid, heart to Trump, Connor, you know, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so years ago, that, you know, that didn't seem so bad. But I, I know that if I tried to do that now, um, 
there's no way. Even I would stop myself potentially, or I'd put out the feeler knowing that this likely won't go through. My son happened to, to get a, tr- a Trump mask for, for Halloween, so I had it. And, you know, it, it was fine. I remember the New York Times wrote a little sidebar on it, just kind of like a, you know, like a two-paragraph story. And I thought, wow, that's kind of neat. Uh, but here we are four years later, and it seems 40 years later. Uh, I don't think there's a chance I'd be wearing that on TV anytime soon. Yeah, not just yourself, though. I remember, I think it was the Halloween after that or before that, Connor McDavid went dressed as Donald Trump for Halloween that year. And like that, I, I don't think anyone's doing that this coming October. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Tyler, Zach and Dan, things are things are changing. And so to kind of circle back to the question, that's what your bosses are there for mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to help you to understand. And I think what I used to do, um, I got, I, you know, I did a thing with, uh, with Drake, uh, a few years ago. And, uh, I, I, you know, I just, I just kind of dressed up as, you know, Drizzy, I think is what the kids call him or what oh, he goes yeah. by. And Drake, Drizzy Drake. Drake. <laughs> Drake Pajula had scored a couple of goals against Dallas and had a, a chance to play in the, on the first line. And I did an opening on that. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. It didn't, it didn't, go over great and i didn't pass it by anybody and afterwards you know thinking about it next day they played in detroit might have been the most solemn quiet opening i've ever had in my life um you know i got it and i thought you know what that's uh, avoidable and so since then uh if there's anything that could be touchy uh i just always pass it by the producer and if it's really possibly something that my bigger bosses won't like, I, I go to the guys in Toronto and I'll be honest with you, they never steered me in the wrong direction and uh, better to be safe than sorry. I know it's, it's a cliche and we deal with cliches in sports all the time, but it, it really, it really is important for me now. And here's the last point in it. I, I like to, I like to make friends, not enemies. And the last thing I want is for people out there to think I'm this or that or take things the wrong way. Sometimes it's not how you, how you deliver something. It's how it's received. And I don't want it to be received the wrong way. Well, I think, I think we can, everybody can appreciate, especially like, you know, you're able to speak about your mistakes in the past, but, but like for a positive note, on a positive note, yeah. what, what is one of your favorite openings you've done personally? You know, like we all, I think we all have our favorite. I think my favorite yeah. was one of your St. Patrick's Day openings when you were in the full green garb and that kind of thing. But what's one of your favorites? Well, I think one of my favorites, and honestly, the day they hired him, I'm, th- I'm going to do this. And I did the Todd father. Um, yeah, yeah. Todd was getting ready and again situational the Oilers had won four in a row so it was you know it was kind of everything was good everything was open and uh, and I remember thinking as soon as they hired him I go one day I'm going to do the Todd father and again they'd won four in a row they're playing San Jose I'm like okay this is perfect I got a good friend David Burt who's with the Canadian military who who picked up the notes uh, you know of the godfather theme and we had a, a little um, uh, big carina, we call it, a little liqueur there. And it was it was great. We taped it just because everyone wasn't sure I was going to go live. So we taped it. And as you guys sometimes know, sometimes you try and tape stuff and you do it over and over again. Yeah. And, and usually the first one or the second one is the best one. And uh, it worked out great. So that's one of my favorites. Had a bit of a costume. Had had someone helping me out. Um there, there have been a few, and, and I gotta say this: I normally don't watch my openings back. I just do them, and that's it. And I move forward with them, um, just because sometimes I'm standing there going, "What am I doing here? What am I gonna? Do? Why am I gonna do this?" But 
you know, more people seem to appreciate it than not. So it, it, you know, I use that as a bit of an inspiration for myself, but if I had to pick one right now, uh, the Todd father might be it. I know one of my favorites is the uh, Halloween hot dog. That you yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. That one really good. Um, but I got another question for you, Gene. I've, I, as a young journalist, I've always been really appreciative. I've watched you since I started watching the Edmonton Oilers uh, in 2006, actually. Um, I've always appreciated your skills as an interviewer. Um, you, you mentioned it earlier, how you only have a minute to ask a, a couple of questions. And there's one interview that pops into my mind. Uh, you did it a... Uh, between the period interview with Pat Maroon a number of years ago uh, when he scored the goal in front of his son in, in St. Louis. You seem to invoke a little bit more out of these players than the typical journalist seems to when it comes to asking questions. Um, can you maybe just speak about that process a little bit? I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on, on how you kind of approach that. Well, yeah, if I can real quickly about the hot dog. Uh, <laughs> I remember wearing that in Boston. Sorry. Uh, we'll catch up in a minute. Uh, and uh, so I'm wearing that. And I remember Fernando Pisani had been hurt with a bad back and he came around the corner. And and back then, that's the other thing now. I might start with a Halloween costume, but depending on the score, I might take it off before, you know, as we get into the game. But I was wearing it the whole game. And he came around the corner and he looked at me. He's like, really? I got to interview you or you got to interview me. And I, I also remember Kelly Bookberger was an intermission guest. And I said, this may be the first time in history a hot dog's interviewed a burger. Um, and I was just like, you know what? Some of, these, some of these things I just do for myself. I'm not sure anybody else likes them, but I was just like inside. I was giving myself an internal uh, pat on the back. So so I apologize about that. Yeah, interviews, you know, it's tough, right? It's it's three questions usually. Post-game, might, maybe a little longer. Um, generally, when I know I've got three questions, and Pat Maroon was a special uh, circumstances. We all knew about him being separated from his son. He scored the goal. And, you know, sometimes what makes uh, really good TV is, is, is not me asking the questions. It's it's the crew having the visuals to go with it. And that's a perfect example. If our crew doesn't have a camera on Anthony and doesn't have him celebrating and reacting, First of all, I don't think Pat reacts the way he does. And at home, you're trying to get a visual uh, of this. And that's one of the things when I tell stories, I always try and like I, I bug for photos and video because, you know, if I've got a really good story on something and we just have a close up of, you know, Pat Maroon and Anthony and no visuals of it, it, it just doesn't resonate as much. So that was a real team effort. Um, generally, you don't get emotional stories like that. The only other time I've had an athlete cry was 20. 2002 they had the uh, the girls here for that tournament the ladies and it kind of it was the u19s i think if i remember correctly christine sinclair aaron mcleod local goalkeeper they kind of took the world by storm at this event there were 50 plus thousand people at commonwealth stadium in in the in a matchup with the u.s christine sinclair who'd been incredible missed a tap-in for her from from the six-yard box and i remember getting ready to interview after the game and I always feel like I'm asking questions that you three guys and everybody else at home wants to hear, right? So I'm, I'm the connection between the player to the fans. And I remember asking her about missing that. And she started crying. This is a teenage girl. And I felt terrible. And I remember two of my bosses, one said, you shouldn't have asked that. They're amateur athletes. And the other one said, you had to ask that because that's what everybody was thinking. So even when you, you do the right thing, some people might not think, it's the right thing. 
back to those walk-off interviews, generally three questions. One usually is, is game-driven, specifically about the first 20 minutes or first 40 minutes. Then I try and ask something about um, that individual player, something about his game. And then I try and go bigger picture, either about the team or that player. And now if it's Connor, it, it kind of writes itself because of everything that he accomplishes. Um, but if you're you know, interviewing a third-pairing defenseman who 35 games into the season is plus three and has a goal and three assists, there may not be anything that, that statistically stands out, but there may be something that you see from him that does. And the last point on it is if I have time, if I have a sense of who I might be talking to, uh, I'll chat them up in the morning. Just to, I may ask the exact same questions, but there's already a comfort level because they've already been asked the question. So they have an idea. Well, yeah, and I know it's happening fast after a period or after a game, but they, they know that they've been asked it. And whether it's from me, sometimes it's a scrum setting that someone's asked a really good question and you just sort of rephrase it, change it and ask it later on. And I find that the players will often connect with that uh, quicker because they've already heard it and have already had an answer on it. Well, we know hockey players are sort of infamous for the whole, you know, pucks in deep and the very generic sounding answers. So it's, it's interesting to kind of hear that, uh, that side of it too. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I always imagine too, I mean, I've played sports and never been interviewed after a half or a period, but you know, you walk off the ice and who knows what's gone on, especially if you've played that last shift and they're just trying to catch their breath. So, um, Sometimes I notice uh, that my first question is the longest one, just giving them a chance to kind of catch their breath, relax a little bit, and then answer. But, you know, athletes, there are some that, that open up. There are some that are a little closer to the vest. Uh, there are some that are full of cliches. But I've always felt like this. doesn't matter what they say. For me, they don't have to do that. So they're doing me a service and all of the viewers so I, I always try and leave them going, yeah, I'll come back and talk to that guy again instead of going, I'm never coming back to talk to that guy again. Yeah, and I, I like that you brought up having a conversation with them in the morning. And how much easier does that make your job as an interviewer when maybe you can get to know these guys on a personal level? Like the comfort between the athlete and the interviewer, I find, is just such a massive part of it. Yeah, and I mean, I have the advantage, too, of, of being on the plane with them often, being on the bus with them, being around the hotel with them, of seeing them. One thing I, I don't do much of is if I see someone, you know, like I remember it was a few years ago in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's quite renowned for having a lot of fans outside. I mean, it's, it's a sports town. Hockey wise, it's got Crosby and Malkin and here's McDavid to a lesser extent a couple of years ago. Here's Drysidle. And I remember walking back from a hotel. It was about 930 at night and it was raining and, and this guy crosses the street. He's got a hoodie on and a cap and it's got like a 7-Eleven bag. And he just crossed the street goes, hey, Gene. And I look, I go, Connor? And he's like, yeah, hey, how are you? And I'm like, what? I was like, what are you doing out? He goes, well, he goes, I was kind of stuck in the hotel all day because of all those fans. He goes, I want to get out, get some water, and just kind of get out and get some fresh air. And I'm like, oh, hey, well, you know, nice to see you. And big game tomorrow. I talked to him a little bit. But usually when I see the players away from the rink, you know, front of the hotel, walking down the street, um, I'll say hello and how are you? But unless they engage in conversation, I usually just leave it at that. I spend a lot of time uh, talking slash interviewing them. So when I see them in a more informal setting, I, I just, I, I don't really gauge into big conversation. If they want to talk and they start talking, that's different. 
But if it's up to me, I usually just one, two, and out and just leave it at that because I know I'm going to see them the next morning, next night, talk to them again, next day. So I try and give them their space. I know as a journalist, you're, you know, don't get, you know, don't become friends with the players and all that. But is there one ex-Oiler who you really enjoyed interacting with? A guy who you felt like maybe you had a good on-air chemistry with, sort of? Well, I, I, you know, two. Uh, one is Ryan Smith. Uh, you know, Ryan, it was heart and soul. People loved him. Uh, people still love him. And uh, I always felt a real connection with him. Uh, listen, my paisan, the Italian stallion, Fernando Pisani, <laughs> I still remember, you know, and I don't know if we could do this today, but after the 06 opening round when they beat Detroit, Fernando and I went down to Spinelli's at the Italian center shop. We set up a nice table there. We had the cappuccino going, and we were just talking about this north side kid who was drafted, I think, in the eighth round back in 1996. Had already, And he hadn't really burst onto the scene yet. He still had more to come. Uh, but I just thought, wow, this is so much, this is so much fun, right? Um, but for the most part, like, I don't, I don't interact, like, you know, people often, oh, do you not go, I mean, I'm 53 now, right? I'm, I'm not going out with the players. If they're going to places I'm going, that's, that, I don't think that's good for me or them, right? It's different now. I'm at the point now where my kids are as old as, you know, the players. I do remember when I first started here and I was 31, um, you know, and you, you would end up being around players like a Tommy Salo or Igor Ulanov, uh, players like that that were, you know, a little bit older, still not quite as old as me, but on that cusp. I haven't, you know, I, I like to say that I'm friendly with the players, but not friends with the players. Uh, not because they're mean, they don't like me, or I don't like them. I just I just like to give them their their space. And usually, you know, when I have players' phone numbers, to, and I, I don't text them just to text them. I text them because of, you know, I've heard something or trying to find something out, like, and even then, I don't do that very much. Uh, I just I, I, I see it as a privilege that they've given me their phone number. So it's in a quote unquote emergency situation that I would ever use that number to try and find something out regarding a contract or a trade or something along those lines. Well, Gene, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. I don't know if the boys have a final question here as well, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, you're you genuinely like I, I said it earlier, but. I think that the three guys here and everybody at the nation, everybody that has a chance to meet you and interact with you, uh, we really appreciate who you are as a person, not just the the personality that's kind of, I've always, I always, I think I, I've said it to you before. Um, you're, you're the, the band that played the Titanic into the ocean for a couple of years. And we really appreciate that. Oiler fans needed that. It gave us a reason to smile before, you know, there was going to be a frown coming later. Um, so yeah, as, as an Oilers fan, I appreciate that. And I, and I know the three other, or the two other guys here do too. Well, I, I thank you for that. Um, you know, I, 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 and, and I know we might finish up with a couple more questions, yeah. but I've always kind of felt like, especially now as I'm later into my career, it really is about, uh, bringing along younger, young kids like you guys, uh, to help if possible, uh, show the way, uh, I've had a nice run. It's 33 years of TV. I hope I've got, you know, seven to 12 more years to go and maybe a couple more Stanley Cups, but it's been great. And I think now it really is about uh, turning back and answering questions and spending time with, with people, whether they're trying to be broadcasters or whether they're not. But just, you know, being a, a good part of society, I think that's what we all want to do and be, no matter what our jobs are. I know speaking for myself, um, four years ago, I had a chance to meet you at the Memorial Cup in Red Deer. 
And I had just graduated journalism school and I bumped into you downstairs in the middle of one of the games. And I just remember much like Dan kind of talked about too, like you, you took such a genuine interest in me and what I was doing and how at then 20 years old, I was covering something like the Memorial cup. And that's a moment that stuck with me for a very long time. So I, I just, I want you to know that even with that, you know, as a young journalist, um, it, it, it meant a lot to me at the time. It's something that uh, I, I stick with. Uh, I keep in the back of my mind, I, I should say, through all these years. Well, that's nice of you to say. I remember that Memorial Cup. Uh, that was the, the, the Marner, uh, Kachuk, uh, Dvorak line, I think. Oh, they were special. That was, yeah, that was incredible. I remember, too, uh, Jake DeBrusque was certainly a favorite of you guys and us because of his Edmonton roots and connection to Louis. I remember him crying after Red Deer, uh, you know, exited the tournament. And I remember meeting up with you. I mean, that's the thing. You know, I, I remember real quick, I remember being 17 years old and holding the tripod on a shoot with uh, Lisa Miller, who was a longtime, very good broadcaster at CFRN, which is now CTV. And we went to a ski hill uh, in the Edmonton area and we interviewed Eddie Potovinsky. Eddie is from here and was a really good skier you know, a while ago. And, and I remember him looking at me and he, he was very nice, but I'm sure he was looking at me going, you know, who is this guy and what's he doing carrying the tripod? And we're all somebody and we're all trying to get somewhere. So if, if we can help that person get there, it, it, it would really be the wrong thing to do not to help out. So that's nice of you to say that about when we met at the Memorial Cup. Gina, the last area I wanted to touch on, like you mentioned the decade of darkness, Dan said, you know, like the band on the Titanic for those 10 years, this is both a more of a compliment to you than a knock on the team, but you were the most exciting part of a lot of those games. But for you to go from, you know, covering the team for those 10 years and being a proud Edmontonian yourself to getting to be there when they returned to the playoffs in 17 and getting to watch the way the city sort of came alive again. What was that like for you to cover that run in 2017 and the return? Well, I think one of the things I learned early on, uh, when I was, you know, younger than you guys, and, and I know you guys are young, I was, the Oilers were winning Stanley Cups, and I remember going down back then, it was Jasper Avenue, and we'd head down there, and uh, I, I re remember running into some players, just uh, a bathroom at Barry T's, Essa Tikkanen and Craig Simpson, and you would, you would bump into people, you know, all over the city, because they really were accessible uh, back then, and my dream was to, to, to work on the Edmonton Oilers you know, and their broadcasts. And so to fast forward, when I started broadcasting and doing their games, I really had to kind of shelve the fan in me um, and, and be a broadcaster. Maybe on the inside, I was, I was cheering, but on the outside, I had to, you know, be somewhat professional when it came to interviewing players, especially interviewing other teams' players when, you know, I remember with Colorado, with Forsberg and Sackick, it seemed they were always somehow beating the Oilers and you end up interviewing them and inside you're like, ah, here we go again. But, that's not what people are supposed to see from you. But 2017 was, was a hoot. I mean, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, you know, especially that, that 11 year gap from 06. I think even I appreciated 06 was such a surprise. Not that I thought the Oilers would do that every year, but, uh, I don't think we expected things to, to necessarily go the way they did. So 2017 was like, Hey, I'm going to enjoy this because like players, they never know when they might get back to covering it. And so it was, uh, it was a ton of fun. This is going to be, I think, a ton of fun, too, uh, yeah. different. Uh, we were just talking today. Imagine skating around Rogers Place Ice and you're Connor McDavid holding the Stanley Cup, and <laughs> you might only be able to hear your teammates and nothing else because there you know be nobody else in the building. But it's great that the game's back. It's great that Edmonton is a hub city, and it's great that the Oilers are in the playoffs or at least the play-in tournament, 
and they got a chance to do something. So uh, I, I love being uh, an Edmontonian. I'm proud of being here. I'm proud of being from here. I'm proud of working here. And I want to try and keep all those things going as long as I can until the Oilers got that cup and they're holding it up above their heads. Uh, speaking of this run coming up here, you've been back at the rink now. Uh, what's it been like for you going back there and watching practices? And uh, this is vague, but what, what do you sense kind of the energy is around the team? You know what? Uh, it's been a little bit different, certainly the first day because of the time of year and because of the amount of time off and, and how we've gone from really, it wasn't like a, a normal sort of off season. You're out and about, you're holiday and you're going everywhere. And then hockey comes back in September. Many of us spent you know, a lot of time at home uh, limited access outside of our own homes. So that's been different. I'll tell you what, I, I've been impressed. The first day was hard because we were up top. Uh, and it's really hard to tell from the, you know, the top row at Rogers Place what's going on hundreds of feet below you. But these last few days at the community rink, these guys are on. They're going and Dave Tippett's yelling and pushing them. And this is a team that I'm, I'm telling you, uh, it, it, it's going to be hard to predict. But I really think they can do some serious damage. Uh, in the West and eventually I think in the crossover. I know I'm a bit biased because of what I do and where I'm from, but I would not count out the Edmonton Oilers. I think because of the two guys they have and the depth that they've surrounded them with and the goaltending of two goaltenders, they really got a shot here of, you know, it's hard to surprise people when you got McDavid and Drysaddle, but I think in the playoffs, there may be a few teams that aren't thinking they can go a long way, but I believe Edmonton can definitely do that, and I think they will. It's almost like I, I know I've sort of been looking at this as a potential time where it could be that um, sort of change in guard where Edmonton has that breakout as a as a team that will be a contender in the playoffs for a very long time. Do you think that this could be that sort of opportunity for the Oilers as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, in in the, the kind of in the the, the late nineties, you, you had kind of Detroit. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh into the 2000s, they were kind of the team, you know, you go way back to the Oilers. Uh, now it's, it's you know, Chicago had a bit of a run at the beginning of 2010 to 2015. You sandwich in some L.A. stuff there. Then St. Louis is, well, if Pat Maroon doesn't score in what, double overtime in Game 7 against Dallas, Jamie Benn was inches away from putting that puck across the line. Who knows if Dallas is the cup champ? So, Zach, I think you're right. I think that the changing of the guard used to take a long time. The changing of the guard now is like it's changing potentially every year or every second year. And Edmonton is, is primed to do it. And I know the fans won't be in the building, but I, I like the, the, you know, I don't know how much of a home ice advantage or a home city or hub city advantage there is, but I think there is some, and I think the Oilers can use that to their advantage. So I, I think they're primed and ready to go. And I, I'm telling you, watch Connor McDavid. I know... <laughs> obvious but i just think that this kid has has got a lot on the go and i i'm just really looking forward to seeing him not to mention leon and, and everybody i mean james neal two-time cup finalist i mean they got lots going on for them now that i think could really take them all the way i i feel like i've said last one three times now but i promise you gene this is the last one we've kept you for a while a topic we were debating off the top of the show was on the ice, is it going to have the same intensity that a normal Stanley Cup playoffs would? You know, will there be the big goal celebrations? Will there be fiery scrums and all that? What's your take on that? Do you think we'll like? Do you think the players will still get dialed in, even though there's no one in the stands? Well, you know what? Uh, you know, we talked about, or I talked about how you know, as my first love kind of was soccer, and I wanted to be a pro player. Well, I've been watching the Bundesliga mm -hmm. since it came back in Germany, and then uh, more recently Serie A in in uh, Italy. And I got to admit, when it first started watching it, and I even think the players were, 
uh, just just thrown off, right? Because really, it's nothing any of them had ever seen or lived. You know, some of them, not Alfonso Davies' case, but many of them for for a couple of decades that they'd ever been to a match and there'd been no sound and no people around. But I tell you what, after the first, you know, the first couple of weeks, I thought, man, these guys, no yellow cards, no red cards, no hard tackles. It didn't. It wasn't that it wasn't intense, but it wasn't kind of to that next level. But I found after a few weeks that it was back and that uh, whether there were cardboard cutouts in the stands like in South Korea or whether it was just making some crowd noise, um, they were doing their own thing irregardless of, of what was going on outside, in this case, the pitch. So I think it'll be like that for not only the Oilers, but hockey. For sure, it's going to be a little weird to get going. The other thing, though, is, you know, in the Bundesliga, the City A, yes, late in their in their table, and but not, quote-unquote, playoffs like we have here. I mean, it's NBA. They've got, what, eight games. I mean, so it's it's kind of kind of different. So I think that, yes, it'd be a bit of a transition, but it won't be long before, you know, Zach Cassian's doing his thing <laughs> and Matthew Kachuk's doing his thing for Calgary, and hopefully they're doing it against each other. But it'll pick up fast, I would think, Tyler. It won't take long for them to not not – kind of uh, notice that the fans aren't there, but not have it impact the way they play and how they approach the game. Well, I, uh, sorry, I don't know if Tyler, do you have anything else you wanted to ask? No, Gene, I was just going to thank you for your time again. And and, uh, speaking for the two of them, like as a young broadcaster, you're someone I look up to and getting to chat with you here for the last 45 minutes was an absolute treat, Gene. Yeah. Hey guys, listen, uh, thank you for the invite. Keep up the great work uh, with what you're doing. It really, uh, Again, when I was your age, there was there was nothing like this kind of stuff. So uh, any avenue to sort of promote uh, the Oilers and what they do, uh, you guys keep doing it because you're doing really well at it and continued success. And look forward to seeing you guys somewhere um, in the near future. We really appreciate you taking the time, Gene. I know I think I think everybody that's listening to this is going to be that little bit more amped up oh, yeah. for two weeks' time. Thank Absolutely. you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak with us and. And thank you for being you. And don't don't ever retire, please. <laughs> okay. I'll tell my boss that. Take care, you, boy. There you go. There's Gene Principe. And, uh, man, 45 minutes with Gene feels like four and a half minutes with Gene. It's, you know, I, I, I feel like we could have gone forever. I know we had a couple of delays with the, with the Caleb Jones uh, yeah. COVID and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I'm just I – was, I was amped up to know that this interview was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's even better than you could have thought it would be. Can't beat it. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's amazing. What can you say? He's, uh, he's just such a great, genuine person, and uh, what a treat it was to have him on the show. Yeah. All right. We've been going for, uh, for long enough here, close to an hour and a half on Oilers Nation Radio. Before Huge. we wrap things up. Sorry, Tyler. You... I just wanted to, oh. to make sure we say thank you to Sherwood Ford again and uh, skip the dishes to turn for all that they do for this podcast. You took the words out of my mouth, Dan. And uh, we also need to give some love to Oodle Noodle. 10% from all in-store takeout. Curbside orders at all 13 locations are being donated to local charities. For Sherwood Ford, skipthedishes.ca, Oodle Noodle, Nation Dan, or do we call you Danalytic now? Yeah, Dan from <laughs> Oilers Nation, whatever. And Zach Lang, I'm Tyler Rumchuk. Thanks for tuning in to Oilers Nation Radio. Gene Principe, you are an absolute beauty. This episode is over. Thanks for listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media to stay up to date and never miss a podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.